Hello and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of AZ Vineyard Church. This week, Heath talks about why we gather. Go get a notebook, grab a Bible, and expect to have an encounter with God today. Hope you guys are doing well this morning. Forgive me as I get set up. I don't know how anyone makes it through that song with a straight face. Honest to God. I, uh, I've always said that one of the most dangerous prayers you can pray is, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Because just be prepared to live a short life. <laughs> I just, uh, just feel like you're going to blow up into a thousand pieces when you say something like that. Um, so this morning, uh, Pastor John, I guess I'll go back a little bit. Pastor John asked me a couple weeks ago if, uh, if I would speak today. And he asked me to talk about um, a specific topic and I don't know, are the slides working? Are we going to have those? Yeah? Okay. We get the first one up. Aha, there it is. Okay. Gathering together, kind of taboo, right? That's like persona non grata right now. We're not supposed to be doing that. Um, but I want, I want to say, before I jump in, let's do this. Let's just pray. Let's do that. We'll pray. We'll center ourselves on God, and we'll let him say what he has to say. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you are good and that you have a perfect plan in place and we rest in your presence and we await your will and we ask God that your will be done on this earth, not ours. And we align ourselves with what you're doing in patience and in eagerness, Father. Ready, Father, but waiting. So God, we come before you today. We ask that you would speak to us, that you would reveal to us what you're doing in our lives and how we can be a part of the lives of those around us. Amen. So gathering together, I want to say uh, expressly too, because this was a really hard uh, kind of message to put together, because as I was putting it together, I started to feel kind of judgy, and I don't want to be judgy. And, and so here's what I'll say about it. This message is in no way a political statement. It's not my rebuttal to social distancing or any of the safety practices that are being advised or that anyone is uh, practicing right now. It's none of that. This is simply a biblical And partly scientific, natural view of the benefit and the need to be and gather together. And I'll say this as well. If you feel as I'm talking, this is for those on watching online or those here with us. If you feel as I'm talking that I'm judging you, just know I'm not. But consider the thought. Is this God talking to me? Is this God revealing to me areas in my life where I am taking him out and I am putting, there's a pedal there putting myself on the throne, right? And that voice is going to be edifying, meaning building up. It's going to be encouraging. It's also going to be correcting. It's going to be a corrective voice, okay? And if it's not the voice of God, it's the voice of the, of the enemy, of Satan. And that's going to be an accusatory voice, a voice that is making you feel less than or incapable or unworthy. And that's not the voice of God. So as I'm speaking this morning, discern that voice, okay? So, coming together. Let's stay here for a minute. I actually forgot what the next slide looks like. We'll figure that out together as we go. But I want to, I want to share this kind of like uh, natural observation of the benefit of being together. Some of you, this might be like, okay, I remember learning this in, I don't know, like probably high school, like freshman year, maybe. I'm trying to remember when I learned this, but um, consider why zebras all look the same, right? They have similar stripes, and they're hard to tell apart one from the other. And when they're out in the wild, and they're in a group, right? They're always in a group. Rarely are they on their own, but they stand in a single file line 
when they're eating or standing still because it makes it hard for the predators to discern how many there are because they all look alike, especially if you look down a straight line. They stand really well coordinated and you can't see how many of them there are. And it's hard for a predator to carve one of them out to get in and eat it, right? And that's that's how predators act, and that's how the devil is described in the Bible, right? As a, as a prowling lion seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. And so the devil wants to find those that are weak or find you when you're feeling weak, and he wants to carve you out, and he wants to get here, right? Here and then here, okay? So this is largely a battle of our perception and of our, of our viewpoint and perspective, right? It's, I think it's in Romans 12, maybe help me out, Pastor John, when it says that not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? The renewing of your mind is so important to have not a worldly view, but a godly view and godly actions. So if you could go to the next slide, I hope this is the one that I think it is. Go ahead, go again. Okay, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can read the whole thing. Um, I'd put the, if you guys want to ever take note of that, where I got it from. So this is from uh, American Psychology Association, an article a couple years ago. And it's talking about the uh, effects of uh, social isolation. And so it's talking about how the effects are equivalent to that of smoking. I think it's, what, 15 cigarettes a day. Um, It's similar to having an alcoholism disorder. And I want to say obesity. Yeah. So those are the effects of social isolation, right? And social distancing, I'm not, right, again, this is not a political or rebuttal to what they're advising. I'm simply pointing out, I feel like this is, is it falling? I don't know. This is so weird. Okay. So social isolation. There's a reason that time out is an effective form of punishment for a kid, right? You're misbehaving. Take time away from everybody else by yourself. It helps them center themselves, yes, because there is a purpose sometimes to seeking solitude, right? Jesus went 40 days in the desert by himself. There's a purpose if you're doing it for the right intent, but then like prisoners, right? Isolation is another form of punishment. Because of the mental effect, it translates to physical harm, all right? So this is, this is the, uh, before, actually, before I go on to my next point, go to the next slide. This is the other benefit. This is, this is the why should we gather together, right? Because you're sitting at, here in church, you're watching online and you're thinking, I don't really need to go to church anymore. I can worship online. I can get my, my, get, get my spiritual uh, food online through watching, you know, a TV pastor. Um, I really, I can, I can order all my stuff, you know, and have it shipped to my house. I really don't need people anymore. But there is, again, what I love about science is science proves God, whereas in the world, right, that's that godly perspective, whereas the worldly perspective of science disproves God, which is not the case. So science proves God. God, well, we'll get into it in a minute, the biblical piece of all this that proves these things, but it existed first, right? The importance of, I keep bumping into this stuff, the importance of physical touch. Um, I learned this when I was in high school. Again, uh, some lady was talking at one of our youth groups, we were talking about the importance of, of being connected. And she, there was some statistic about the average human needs like 13 touches a day on average. Um, I want to say it's like not a full second, but there's a certain amount. And what happens is it releases, it releases chemicals in your brain that improves your mood, right? And it battles things like um, it combats depression. It reduces anxiety levels. There, I see it. Yeah, just give everyone a loved one a little rub on the arm. It lowers your stress. Uh, what else? We see it. It increases relational satisfaction, which is important, right? If you're in a relationship with someone and you never hug, high five, shake hands, you just do the air five, and then there's a conflict between you, and there's no physical connection. 
that relational satisfaction goes down, right? So you might lose a friend, you might lose a partner, a coworker, a spouse, right? If you're not physically connected. Um, and the last thing is it uh, creates healthy and secure attachments. So that's, that's the importance of physical touch. And those are the effects of social isolation as observed through science. Now, let's see what the Bible has to say about it. So go to the next slide. This... Oh, I'm going to read it. Yeah, I'll read it. I know. It's... I, I learned uh, some, some stuff today about... Anyways. <laughs> What's that? Okay, so uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to 22. Oh, you know what? I've got it in here. Let me read it from here. I thought I had it in my notes. I'm not normally a crier either, but I was crying during that song, so I brought these tissues just in case. I'm so glad. I don't, I don't, we've, we've released a, a spirit in this place. But, it, but it, it's good because um, it just, uh, I'm telling you that I was sitting there singing that song, and uh, I just started to really think about, and again, this is, is uh, I'll come back to this. I started to think about, the frustrations I have, and again, the importance of being connected to people, and what happens when you're not with and around people. Because in this whole social distancing thing, my job, I can do my job 100% from home. I don't have to go anywhere, but I hate it. I'm not exactly a people person, but I'm not not a people person. Would you say, oh, you think, I, okay, she says I am. There's debate there. There's somewhere in the middle ground, right? So, uh, I, when I started going out to stores again, though, um, and, and this isn't what, this wasn't recent, but it was probably a couple months ago. I hadn't been into a Walmart, although this was recent. I hadn't been to a Walmart in um, six months, I think it was four or five months. And I was going into Walmart, Walmart, and there was a guy in front of me and his girlfriend, significant other, um, and uh, I could I could tell. And the, again, this is the this is the judgmental non-Christian side of me, right? I could tell they either were currently in a a substance abuse situation or they previously were. And I remember just thinking, oh, this, this guy and this lady, like I just, my, my first reaction that was so unchristlike and immediately I was like, who the heck are you Heath to say anything about where, where they're at in life, your job. And and even then the thing that really critic, the thing that really got to me and this is going back to break my heart break what, for what breaks yours, is it's not, it's not them that I was mad at. It's the spirit of lies. It's the demonic uh, uh, spirit that they've become in agreement with. That's what I was mad at. And it's, it's, it's identifying that. And as a Christian, again, taking that godly perspective as we go throughout our world and not losing it as we communicate and as we partake with other people. And it's, it's remembering that if you're frustrated with someone's behavior or the way they are for something that is clearly and evidently wrong, right? Um, it's going to fall, I know it. Uh, there we go. Okay, I think I got it. There's a, ah, forget the clip. There we go. Is that, maybe, okay, right? So I was mad at the lie that they had agreed with. And the same thing happened earlier this week. There was a situation in our family and I was seriously bitter, seriously bitter, borderline violent. Uh, just, just again, because of what took place. And, and when we were singing that song, it hit me. And I started singing that song over the person that I had anger and bitterness over. And I started singing that song. <clears throat> Darn it. <laughs> I started singing that song over the man and his uh, spouse, whatever, at Walmart that I saw. And, and so 
That's, that's why that song is so powerful, and that's, that's why I broke down, and that's the importance of godly perspective and the importance of not being alone and not forgetting that. So Genesis 2, 18 to 22 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper for him who is right. And the Lord God formed all the wild animals and the birds out of the ground, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called each creature became its name, and the man called all the domesticated animals and all the birds and all the wild animals. But the man found no helper who was right for him. And so the Lord God caused him to fall asleep. And while he was sleeping, he took out of the man's rib uh, and closed up the flesh in that place. And the Lord God formed a woman from the rib. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be named woman because she was taken from man. So I, I read that verse. It's so, in the very beginning, this is the second book of the Bible, right? This is like the beginning. And God said, from the beginning is not good for us to be alone. And then God's like, okay, it's not good for me to be alone. Let's make some pets, right? We're going to make some animals and we're going to make him busy. We're going to make him busy. He's going to take care of all these things and he's going to name them. And that wasn't good enough because God knows us. So then he made a companion. And so again, for all of you who may not be in a, a romantic relationship, you might not have a husband or a wife. This is not, this is not go find a husband and wife right now because you're going to be lonely and it's bad for you. That's not this. But this is have a companion, have a partner, have a best friend, have someone that you talk to, have a group of friends, right? Going back to the isolation piece and not to sound morbid, but I've, I, I, I can't think of a time when I've read about someone who ended their life prematurely and wrote a note that said, I just had too many friends, or I was having too much fun, right? That doesn't happen. It's always the opposite. And so here's, here's what happened, though, with Adam and Eve, right? Shortly thereafter, they committed the original sin, right? They ate, I'm doing okay on time. They ate the, the, the fruit from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we'll come back to that, too, because there's also a point there where there was, there was the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and then there was the fruit of with the, 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 the tree the fruit of eternal life, right? I think that's, so, tree of eternal life. So there was no third fruit that was like the third fruit of like, maybe not so bad, right? It's, right? It's God created the fruit that was good and there was evil. It's just like that, okay? And there's life and there's death, just like that. So they ate the fruit and what did they do? They ran and they hid and they isolated themselves from God. And why did they do that? It is the un godly, natural human characteristic that we have in a fallen world, that when we're afraid, when we think we're going to be punished, um, what's the other one? When we feel out of control, or if we are out of control, if we're letting our emotions control our decision-making, we isolate. And that isolation is not the healthy isolation. It's not the isolation that Jesus did when he went to the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and sought God. It's not that isolation. It's unhealthy isolation. And God sought them out because he knew it wasn't good for them. All right. So go ahead and go to the... Oh, yeah. I know it's small. Hopefully you can... I, I wanted to highlight just... A, I'm not going to read all these because um, I'll run out of time, but take notes on these. I highly recommend Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It's got a very specific... Um, application to right now. If we, if I have time at the end, we'll come back and we'll read it. But that's Hebrews ten twenty four to twenty five. All right. So this is the why do we gather? Right. So we've covered that. Right. It's unhealthy for us. We weren't made to be alone. You know what's funny? I was thinking about this. Is God? We're made in His image. 
is also not in isolation. He, he, he lives amongst all of his creation, right? He seeks us out. He made us to love us. So we're made in his, in his image. We're not meant to be alone either. So why we gather more? Let's go to John chapter 15. Big flip. One more flip. I am glad that I... Go ahead and go to the next slide. I'm glad I queued these verses up because I didn't realize they'd be too small to read. But So we're going to start on verse 4, and we might come back and read more of John chapter 15. <clears throat> oh, here we go. This is the trick. I have to cough. Was, uh, I was given instruction that if you have to cough, turn off the mic. <laughs> All right. So John 15, starting in verse 4. This is Jesus talking. He's, ter- he's telling a parable to the disciples. And, he's <clears throat> and he says, uh, where is it here? Live in me and I will live in you. A branch cannot produce any fruit by itself. It has to stay attached to the vine. In the same way, you cannot produce fruit unless you live in me. We're meant to produce fruit. Right? We'll just pause right there. Not only are we meant to gather together, we're meant to incorporate more, right? Going back to the concept that there's life and there's death. I have never seen a tree stop growing that's not dying, right? Like it's either growing more and has to be trimmed back or it's dying, right? So if we are connected to the vine, which is Jesus, and we are the branches and we are not producing fruit. And again, this is not a judgment. The, there's, there's, Quick story for you, just, just um, to, to, to give comfort, right? Because so I, I know when I read this and when I've read this in the past, and this is where my comfort came from, because I was feeling like, wow, God, I'm not producing fruit. This was maybe three, four years ago, five years ago, something like that. Could even be longer, who knows anymore. Um, but I was reading through this, and I remember feeling convicted, like, wow, God, I'm not producing fruit in my life. And then he started to show me areas in my life where I was producing fruit. But here's the thing is, not, not every fruit that you produce will you get to see the harvest of that fruit, right? You might not get, and it might not look like what you're trying to grow either, right? It doesn't say produce healthy, giant fruit that everyone can eat and taste great. It says produce fruit. And the fruit is going to be God's responsibility, right? We are attached to the vine. We're simply a branch, Okay, and so the fruit that grows on us is not ours to prune. God is the pruner, and He comes along and He chooses the fruit He likes, right? And He and He picks the fruit off us, and He makes sure that we're healthy. And as long as we're trying, and and there's a funny quote I'll read you guys here in a minute, but I want to share this story. So, and some of you have heard this story. It's an old story I've I've told. I don't know if I've told it up here before, but I've told it Uh, in high school. uh, I went to a really uh, I went to a high school in South Phoenix. We'll just leave it at that. We won't go into in the names. It was in in South Phoenix, not a really great area, Um, and there wasn't a lot of Christians at the school, at least not that I knew. And it was a large school, like twenty five hundred kids. And I just um, moved there from uh, I moved from from California out here in high school, and I was a small Christian high school. It was like 250 kids in my whole high school, right? So now I got 10 times more uh, students in the school that I go to, and the whole high school I went to, again, it was a Christian high school. We'll just say by law of ratios, probably 200 were, you know, following Christ. There's probably 50 that hopefully found their way, right? We'll put it at that. To a school of 2,500 where I wouldn't say the same ratio applied. 
And so I thought, God, you want me to start a Christian club on campus. That's what I'll do. I'm going to start a Christian club on campus. And starting my sophomore year, I came there as a freshman. My sophomore year, I started seeking this Christian club on campus. Um, and it never materialized. I would get a sponsor through a teacher, and then I couldn't get, like, a classroom. I would get a classroom, and I couldn't get a sponsor. I'd get a sponsor in a classroom. We couldn't get in meet with administration to set up the club. And it was constant roadblocks. But along the way, I was telling people, hey, I'm going to start this Christian club. Hey, I'm going to start this Christian club. Oh, you're a Christian? Yeah, I am. Well, can I, can I tell you about my problems? And this became like a, like a thing because the school, the area I went to in South Phoenix, large Hispanic population, Catholicism is a, a very popular religion in the Hispanic culture. And so I became through that Father Heath to like a lot of people. And, uh, and when I left uh, high school, I went to a community college, I went to Estrella, and I had a friend there, and we did start a Christian club, but he started it. I helped, he started it. And for a long time, I felt like convicted, like I failed. Like, how did he start it? And, and like, he, he didn't quit, and, and he was, he was um, aggressive and, and, and unrelenting. And, he, and, he, and this Christian club that we had in Australia was so impactful. I keep in touch with so many people from that group. We saw a lot of salvations in that group. Um, and when I look back at high school, I used to think, man, I, I failed there. Like, I didn't, I didn't pursue it enough. And then that's when God started going, no, no, no. Remember that time you were sitting in the quad with your Peter Piper pizza and, you know, they sell little individuals at school, and uh, so-and-so came and sat next to you, and he told you about what's going on, and you counseled him, and you prayed with him. I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, great. Remember that time in the locker room before baseball practice when so-and-so came to talk to you, and you, you counseled him and prayed with him? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, that's the fruit, right? So in your life, those are the things we take for granted, right? So in your life, in the pursuit of producing fruit, don't discount what God is doing because it's not always going to look the way you want it to look, but that's not our job, right? I have a, I won't go into that one. I feel like I'm going to just totally blow through this. Okay, so where are we at? We, we read verse four. You cannot produce fruit unless you live in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who live in me while I live in them will produce a lot of fruit. There you go, but you can't produce anything without me. Whoever doesn't live in me is thrown away like a branch and dries up. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. We'll stop there at verse 6. Now go to, if you have your Bible, go to Luke. Here's the other cool thing, too. Go to Luke 19. Very good story. I love this story. One cool thing about the Bible, I learned this recently, and some of you might have known this for a long time. Maybe some of you, this is like, cool, I never knew that. The Bible is the original hyperlinked text, meaning that, a verse in another book will apply with a verse in another book, and it's constant hyperlinks, just proving itself over time, right? Thousands of years between books being written, and yet, and, and different people writing the books, and yet God is saying the same thing throughout, right? So we, we and, and this is all Jesus talking still, so it's easy enough, right? He knows what he's talking about. So he tells this parable uh, that, that we just read in, what was that, John, right? So here's another one in, uh, in Luke chapter 19. Um, we'll start in verse, we'll start in verse nine, just because I find it great. So verse nine, if you're with me, says, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, this is after he ate with Zacchaeus at his home, and he says, you and your family have been saved today. You've shown that you too are one of Abraham's descendants. Indeed, the son of man has come to seek and save people who are lost. And then he goes into verse 11, a parable. And I find it so interesting. And in another day, I would, oh, I got to run out of time, Pastor John. Um, another, another day, I would love to just go deep into this parable. There's so much in here, and you could spend 
you know, a couple of weeks on, on the story. It's a story about a king is what it says in my translation here. But quick synopsis, there's a king who's going to go, well, he's not a king yet, he's actually, what does it say, he's a nobleman who's going to be made king, and he's going to go away, and as he's going away, he gives some money to three of his servants. He gives one servant, like, five shminas or whatever they're called, and one of them gets three, and one of them gets one. We'll just, again, summarizing, read it for yourself, <laughs> Luke 19. So he gives them a, a measure of, of um, value, right? And then he's going to go away and be named king. And there's people within that nobleman's household that don't like him, don't want him to be king. And they're like, oh, how can they make him king, right? And so these servants of this nobleman who's going to be made king have a decision to make. Do we uh, help this nobleman who all of our friends don't want him to be king and might even like hurt us or attack us? Or do we do what's right by the nobleman and take what he's given us and grow it, right? Because again, going back to that tree, I've only ever seen trees that are growing or dying, right? Another analogy that I was thinking of is, you ever dropped a ball from like a high place and watched it fall at the same speed that it started at when you dropped it? It doesn't work like that. It picks up momentum as it goes. And if it stops or slows down, it's because it's stopped, right? So it's either falling or it's not falling. And if it's falling, it's gaining momentum, okay? So there's, there's no middle ground with God. There's good and there's evil, there's life and there's death. So these guys, do I grow what he's given me or do I not? Because if I don't grow it, then I'm reducing it. We can go to the whole economics of how it would be reduced over time if they don't grow it, but that's another time. So the, two of them do. Two of the servants take and they grow what was given them and one of them doesn't. And that man is punished. And it says, we'll go to verse 26, the... the um, King, the man comes back, he is now king, and he says to them, uh, we'll actually start in verse 24, take the coin away from this man and give it to the man who has ten. There was one man that made ten coins out of what he was given. And the servants replied, sir, he already has ten coins. And this is, this is the thing. This is Jesus telling a parable about the nature of the world he's made and about the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And he says, I can guarantee that everyone who has something will be given more, but everyone but every let's see here uh, something will be, but everything will be taken from those who don't have much that's like again if you're feeling like what does that mean or you're you're, you're like okay does that mean what i have is going to be taken here's the thing though is it's about the attempt and the pursuit okay i guarantee you if the one man that had won had went and tried to invest it and grow it and lost it all the king would have been just as happy cuz he tried on his behalf because it's not about the victory. The victory is God's, okay? Yeah. And, and this, again, this is getting back to the, the why we gather, right? The growing of things. If you're, if you're trying to witness to somebody, right? You're trying to bring someone to salvation. You're trying to, right? We're fishers of men is what Jesus said he would make the disciples. You're, you know, I will make you fishers of men. But let's say they don't ever come to Christ through your conversations. There's no saying what's going on privately within them that doesn't mean that they're not saved. Or that down the road, something you said in 10 years when they're having a hard time and they go, oh, I remember what Heath said when. And that could be that moment, right? But again, it's not going to be your words. It'll be God's words and his victory. We just get to be there to take part in that. And so here's the thing though, is whatever measure of, of faith and ability you have, if you're just sitting on it going, I don't know what to do with it, God's going to go, I love you, I love you, but I got someone who's willing to do this. I'll come, you'll get a chance again. You'll get a chance again, but I got I to do this, 
right? He wants us to take part in that. He's encouraging us. The risk is all his, right? The money that the uh, servants had was not their own. They weren't losing or gaining their own money. They were losing or gaining money for the king. So the loss was not theirs, and neither was the gain. But, but they learned. They learned. Um, and so I want to read a fun quote, and then I think we'll have to get close to closing. And I'll tell a quick story. I'm going to read a quote and then we'll do a quick story. Um, go ahead and go to the next slide. There's a couple slides of, with verses that I would want. I just want you guys to take note of. So John, the whole book of John 15, by the way, excellent. Matthew 5.13 is about being the salt of the earth. It's about the importance of our culture as Christians. I'm not going to go too deep into it, but Jesus was talking. This was the Sermon on the Mount. It was his first major sermon that he's given. He had been teaching in the synagogues. He had just um, landed, I forget the what, what lever, I forget where he landed, but he was gonna, he was on a, a mountain, a hillside, and, and like, this is where the 5,000 gathered, and he gives this, his first major sermon, and he goes through the Beatitudes, which is about blessed are you, when this and that, and the, then the very next thing he says is, you are the salt of the earth, and he talks about the importance of being the salt of the earth, and what he's doing is the Jews at the time were a downtrodden, beaten down people. They were the least among the world, and Jesus was telling them how important their culture was, and not to forget it. So you're the salt of the earth. Revelation 3.14 talks about not being irrelevant. Don't be lukewarm. And then Luke 19.26, we read that. So here's the quote about taking risks. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. My kids know this one. It's from The Sandlot. And the little boy is in his room, and he's afraid to make friends because he's kind of dorky, and no one likes him, or so he thinks, right? He thinks he has no ability. And he's afraid to take risk. He's not a risk taker. Risk taking is a godly characteristic, it is godly to take risks. Um, Jesus says, those who seek to save their life will lose it, but if you seek to lose your life for my sake, you will gain eternal life. And so this is the quote from the mom with the little boy afraid in his room to make friends. And she, she says, run around, scrape your knees, get dirty, climb trees, hop fences, and get into trouble for crying out loud. And then she says, not too much trouble. She says, a little, but you have my permission. Yeah. Right? You have my permission to get in trouble for God. Right now, this whole coronavirus thing, we're afraid to come to church, some of us, I should say, and this is, again, where I'm not judging, but examine your heart. There are those of us that are afraid to gather in the name of Christ because we're afraid to catch a virus, but there are people in the world that gather today and gathered 10 years ago and 20 years ago who faced certain death for gathering with, regardless of a virus. There's a church in Iran, it's the fastest growing church, largely led by women, growing the church in Iran. And they face things I would consider worse than death. They, you would beg for death at the things that are happening to them when they're found out to be Christians in Iran right now. Death would be grace. So get into trouble. So last thing, and then we'll, we'll break into some ministry time. How can I gather? And this is like a bit of the punchline, right? Go ahead and go to the next slide. I'm the life group guy. So I, I specifically call out life groups for this reason. I'll share my story and then, and then I'll be done. Um, my wife and I, I met my wife at this church. I was 16 years old when I started going to this church. We, uh, we met and we got married at 19. Uh, John, Pastor John did our ceremony. We got married in another vineyard church because we were in the process of getting this building. And so I have been in this church now for 15 years. 15 years, about half my life. And probably, and sorry, Pastor John, this might be news, probably three or four years ago, Stephanie and I were looking at finding a new church. 
And it wasn't because of anything that anybody was doing. We were doing uh, worship team, we were doing children's ministry, and we were doing youth ministry. And we felt disconnected. All of our friends that we hung out with during the week didn't go to the church. I knew people at the church that I had known again for 10, 12 years. But I didn't talk with them throughout the week. I didn't connect with them over anything. We had no shared experiences. There was no physical uh, relationship, high fives, hugs, nothing like that. It was, I was completely isolated because when I was here on a Sunday, it was transactional. I had a job to do. I had to play worship. I had to do youth. I had to do children. The only time I came to church or, or did anything was a transaction between me and the church, me and the people here. There was no relationship. And so my challenge to everybody is this. If you're serving, keep serving. We need service. It is key and important, and it's good for you. It was good for me to do the things I did. But find somewhere, something, someone within the church to connect with. I highly encourage a life group, all right? Life groups are not just a Bible study that you come to and you read the Bible and then you leave. It's not church on Sunday. It's different. I remember when we went to, we went to Jason Backus's Bible study at his old house, and the first Friday, I think it was a Friday, we went... And I was so happy we went. I saw um, some people that don't go here anymore. They moved states. Um, Skip and Stacey Myers were there that first night. Um, Bruce and Lindy, I think, were there. They brought one of their um, uh, uh, workers, I think, from your ranch. Um, who else was there that first night? There was, a, there was so many people. Oh, George and Aurora were there that first night. At Jason, and I didn't even know Jason that well. And I got to know Jason through his life group, and I got to reconnect with all these people that I had known for 10 to 12 years, but I had no relationship with them. Because again, everything I did was transactional at the church. Church is not a transaction, it's a relationship, right? We don't exchange, there's no exchange between us and God. He gives, 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 and he asks nothing from us in return. But out of love for him and out of appreciation, we give, give, give back. And we give because he loves his people, we love his people. I highly encourage John 15, it talks a lot about that. So that is my story on the life, on, on why I recommend Life Group for getting connected. And that is really the end of what I have to say. So um, we'll break into ministry time. Yeah, we'll I'll have Pastor John come back up and I'll turn this thing off. I just want to echo what um, Heath is saying. The church is is truly in relationships, not just attending a service. I want to ask everybody, in the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing about life groups starting. Um, there's a really great one on Sunday nights on Zoom right now. Just to put in a shameless plug for one I'm leading, but we're going to be starting all kinds of things. You'll, you'll hear more. Form relationships. Listen. As we form loving relationships, we have something to give to others because the world is looking for genuine, loving relationship. The problems that are in the world right now and what's really wrong with it is not politics. It's a lack of love. Love resolves most of the problems of the world. Let's all stand. Is Chapo here? Holy Spirit, I ask you to move right now on us. Lord, I ask you to, to speak in our hearts more. Open our ears. 
Is that you? Do you want to hear Him more? Do you want to hear the Lord's leading in your life more? The voice of the Lord creates universes. Lord, speak in our lives. Break through our problems. Make a way where it looks like there's no way. Cause us from the heart to agree with you more and more. To lay aside our own opinions and the opinions of the world and embrace your kingdom. Just wait on the Lord with me for a minute here. Lord Jesus, break the power of isolation in our lives. Break the power of isolation. The the devil's plan, listen to me you guys, the devil's plan is always to divide and conquer. Just like a predator wants to separate you from the herd because he has more power over you when you're separated. Lord save us from being separated. Thanks for listening to AZ Vineyard Church's podcast. We're located in Goodyear, Arizona. To learn more about our church, visit our website, azvineyard.com. That's A-Z-V-I-N-E-Y-A-R-D.com. 